Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. Now, in this next section, as the famine continues, we get a lesson from Joseph on economics. Okay, it's pretty interesting. Let's check it out. Verse 13, it says, Now there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when all the money was spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph. So, I mean, all the money's gone from the land and it's all in Pharaoh's bank. So there's no more money to buy grain with. So they came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. So, in other words, just start giving it to us for free. Or are you just going to let us die? And so Joseph says... Give your livestock, and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock. If your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock. Now the reality is if they didn't have money and they didn't have a way to grow food, then the best thing for the livestock would be to go into the house of Pharaoh so that he would be able to perpetuate these animals and keep them live and growing. And if the Israelites took this job upon themselves, they'd be quite busy at this point, taking more and more livestock in the land of Goshen. But this really is, it's a good lesson on supply and demand here, right here in the scriptures. I don't know if you study economics in college. I didn't. I'm not an expert. But we can look at this, and I can pretend a little bit, okay? (laughs) But if you notice, when when, when times are really difficult, and people are just trying to survive... What do they really value? Toilet paper, exactly. (laughs) No. No, that's just our crazy culture, right? (laughs) Toilet paper. Uh, At the grocery store, I saw this guy. The cart was full of toilet paper and alcohol. I'm like, dude, I don't even want to know what you have planned. I don't even... Whatever you got to do to get through this thing. You need Jesus, bro. Like, he brings the peace and joy, right? (laughs) But no, it's not toilet paper. It's food. Well, if you're in a sane culture, which we are not, clearly, when it comes down to survival, you need food. You can't buy spaghetti sauce and toilet paper. That's not going to work. Right? So so what, what happens? Everybody starts doing whatever they can to get food. Now, in, a, in a, a metropolitan economy where you have like big cities, you have a lot of commerce, you have a lot of varieties of of businesses and and manufacturers and products that you could want or need. There's a lot of options when you're in a big city like that. And so the thing that has the greatest value is cash. It's the currency of that town. Because why? You can take that currency and buy whatever you need whenever you need it. Right? Money has high value as far as when we value things in economics. But in a famine, food becomes more valuable than money because you can't eat money to live. 
You need, you need to exchange your money to get food for your stomach so your family can survive. And so they're using up all their money. You know, before they know it, the money has run out. Everybody's traded the money in for grain. By the way, this will happen as well in the tribulation period. Things will get so bad. The four horsemen, I don't know if you guys remember this in Revelation, but the black horse comes with the pair of scales and he wrecks the economy and inflation sets in kind of like what we're seeing today. Only even worse because it says that in the tribulation period, a quart of wheat will cost a day's wages. So you figured, okay, 20 bucks, 20 bucks an hour-ish. $160 for maybe a couple loaves of bread. For, you can maybe make a couple loaves of bread for, with a quart. That's crazy, right? That's what it says. It's going to get there. So that's what we see here. Everybody's spending all their money on grain just so they can live, and eventually everybody runs out. So what's the next commodity that you go to, to exchange? They're like, we're out of money. Give it to us for free. And Joseph's like, well, money's not the only thing that has value. So why don't you give me your livestock, and then I will continue, we'll continue this bartering system. He, what he does is he maintains a bartering system and there are some who've questioned whether it was right for Joseph to do this. Why did he continue to take things from people when they're just trying to survive? Why did he just give it to them for free, right? Uh, historically, guys, it's shown that when the government 100% takes um, responsibility for the people and just pays them with, for nothing in return, it destroys the morale of that country. People stop working and they don't go back to work, guess what, we're seeing, just, just as I said before, we're seeing that right now with unemployment and stimulus checks and things. People are like, wow, I don't have to work. I don't want to contribute. I'm going to just continue to, to, to skate by and not contribute and stay home so I can just continue to buy grain off the government with this, this stuff. And now don't get me wrong, like there are people who really need help from the government, but a lot of people don't. They're just lazy. And that's what, that's what happens when all of a sudden the government takes full responsibility and starts just giving grain to everyone. And Joseph's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's continue a barter, some sort of bartering system whereby we can continue to have contribution from the people and they can continue to earn their keep uh, in a sense. And regarding, regarding Joseph and his responsibility over this too, you got to understand that this grain and this money is not Joseph's. It's Pharaoh's. So again, Joseph can't just give away Pharaoh's stuff. Joseph is to be a good steward of Pharaoh's riches, and he's doing just that. And by the way, who's to say he, he's not giving them an amazing deal on these transactions? Like, I, I bet Joseph is really blessing these people as they come in with their livestock and their money. But if you look at the Bible, guys, there is a lot to learn about economics, about benevolence, about financial assistance. And biblically... There is some grounds for financial responsibility to be placed on the government. Some. One place that I found it is when God is saying why he judged King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, he said because he didn't remember the poor. Now that could, you could say, well, maybe that was just him individually as a king. But it was likely his policies did not take care of the poor in his land. So the government does bear some responsibility. We should have a government that cares about the poor that wants to do something to help the people who are really struggling financially, struggling to make it by. 
But by and large, guys, if you look at the biblical mandate to care for the poor, it's not given to the government. It's actually given to you and me. It's given to the individual. And more specifically, it's given to the individual who reads the Bible, the Christian. It's the church's responsibility to take care of the poor. And no, not not Calvary Tucson, but you as a part of Calvary Tucson, right? You as a Christian. Now, Calvary Tucson does uh, give to certain charitable organizations, so people who donate to Calvary do support. uh, Gospel Rescue is one that we as a church, as as a church institution support, but you as an individual should have something that you you look to to help the poor, to help those in need, even just those around you to help. That is really the biblical mandate for taking care of the poor. And the Bible says a few things. One of them, it says, if you don't work, you don't eat. That if, if, if there's, this, there's this responsibility placed on you as an individual that if you choose to be lazy, you shouldn't be allowed to freeload. That is a New Testament, a biblical principle. And that if you are an able body, you should contribute somehow. If you don't work, you don't eat. There's also another passage that says you should work with your own hands so that you may have something to give. In other words, you should get a job, not just so you can meet your own needs, but so that you could have something to offer those around you. So so other people don't have to carry you, but maybe even you could help carry somebody else who really needs help. This is the biblical mandate. This is what it looks like biblically to take care of the poor and the needy. Now, the reality is that Pharaoh probably wouldn't have allowed Joseph to just give things away. But even if he did, it, it probably wouldn't have been that smart and good and healthy for the nation. But, but Joseph, what he's doing here, even as this unfolds, we'll see he's actually doing a service to these people and a service to the nation of Egypt, to the kingdom of Egypt. One more thing about this. It's been said, you've probably heard this before, that the assistance of a government should be a safety net, not a hammock. Have you heard that before? And it's true. And what Joseph is doing here is he's, he's providing a safety net. He's like, I got you. But let's continue to maintain some contribution on your half. Let's keep you engaged as a society, as individuals. So the livestock eventually runs out as well. Verse 18, And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said, We will not hide from my Lord. Our money is all spent. The herds of the livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land, Buy us in our land for food, and we, will, we with our land will be servants of Pharaoh. And give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So notice this idea to enslave themselves, to sell themselves to Pharaoh. It's not Joseph's idea. It's their idea. And Joseph comes, he's like, okay, let me figure out how I, how I can work this. Um, uh, and what's interesting, though, as I read this, is it just reminded me about how quick people are to forfeit their freedom just so they can survive. And we've learned a lot about this the past few years in our country as well. So many people are quick to forfeit rights they don't realize are so important. Rights that they have that, that you might have received for free and it feels cheap, but people died so you could have these rights. And today people just want to give them up and, and say, hey, government, help us, save us so we don't die. It's, it's crazy. 
It's crazy, especially if you look at our history and the amount of sacrifice it's taken of other generations to allow us the freedom we have in America. It's, it's insane to see that. You know, for years and years, uh, a true token statement of an American was, give me liberty or give me death. But that's not really the case anymore. You know? Give me whatever you want to give me, just as long as I don't die. That's really the statement today. Right? And we see that here. Why don't you just, buy, we'll just be your slaves as long as we don't die. It's like, do you realize what you're asking? I mean, the Israelites are going to experience this in just a, probably a century or two when they start to become enslaved by Pharaoh. But what, how this works out is really neat. Joseph keeps it from going to slavery, to harsh slavery. Verse 20, Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. So we see that Pharaoh is still involved with these decisions. It's not just Joseph. Uh, Pharaoh makes provisions for his priests, which is likely not Joseph's idea. Right? Joseph would not support the, the pagan worship of these false gods. So Pharaoh's still directing things as well, but Joseph is involved here. And Joseph, honestly, takes what could be this North Korea-type situation and he makes it into an income tax. That's what happens. I mean, Pharaohs, they were known to enslave their people and to really put people to work, like brutal work, like working in the salt mines of North Korea. And Joseph's like, pump the brakes. I got an idea here. And he implements a federal income tax, 20% here. Verse 23, Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you in your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you. You shall sow the land. And uh, at the harvest, you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh. And four fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and as food for yourselves and your household and as food for your little ones. So really, again, he takes what could have been brutal enslavement and he turns it into this situation where they can actually work again for a living. They can have pride in what they're doing. They can contribute to society. They can earn their keep. And a 20% income tax actually is not that bad. In fact, that's, that's lower than what a lot of Americans pay in income tax. 20% across the board. But it not only keeps them from being enslaved, it allows them to continue to earn their way and it rewards those who work harder as good systems do. A good system will reward the people who work hard but be able to vet the lazy people and not, and not carry the lazy people. And this is one of those systems. So if you really wanted to, again, be prospering and, and eat well as a family, well, you just had to work a little harder for it because you could keep 80% of all that you produced from the land, 80% of it. Verse 25, and they said, You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord. We will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have a fifth. Uh, the land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. When it says to this day, this is Moses, likely Moses' day, when he's recording this. And thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possession in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And they did. They, they, they multiplied like crazy. In fact, 
400 years later, they would become a mighty nation under the, the kingdom of Egypt. So much so that Pharaoh's like, they're too great for me to number. They're greater than the Egyptians are. So they enslave them and eventually God delivers them. And when they're delivered, it's, they're in the millions, like several million Israelites uh, 400 years later. And again, this is the big picture. Why was Joseph having to suffer and go through all these things? Well, it was because God wanted to set them up in the land of Egypt so that they would be fruitful and that they would multiply, so that they would become a great nation, so that they would one day bring forth a Messiah who would die for the sins of the world. Remember, God is moving all of this toward His plan of salvation, the big picture. You've got to keep that in mind, especially when you're reading the Old Testament and reading Genesis. Let's keep going. Verse 28, And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, So the days of Jacob and the years of his life were 147. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If I now have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me, and he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed, or upon his staff, some translations say. You might be like, what was with the whole hand and thigh thing? That's kind of weird. That's just how they made oaths back in the day. That's weird, but you'd stick your hand under the other guy's thigh. And like, if you break this oath, you'll have to do this again. I never want to do this again, (laughs) right? For whatever reason, that was how they made oaths. But in several places throughout this chapter, guys, you'd probably noticed they mentioned that they were sojourners. Jacob said, hey, my fathers were sojourners. He said, I'm a sojourner. The brothers even said, we're but sojourning in the land. We are sojourners. And this is the thought I really want to close with tonight. And that is they knew that Egypt was not their home. Their true country was the promised land. They knew that. They maintained that knowledge. In fact, Jacob gives them a continual reminder by saying, when I die, you don't bury me in this country because this is not my home. You bury me in the land of Canaan with Abraham and Isaac, my fathers. Joseph gave them the same reminder. They actually carried Joseph's bones out with them when they left Egypt. And they would need this reminder and many more because it gets a little hard to maintain the mentality of, of sojourner when you live in the country for 400 years. You tend to settle roots a little bit. You, send, you settle in. And unfortunately, they did. They forgot where their true home country was. And God had to enslave them and make it really uncomfortable for them to get them to leave Egypt. But it's so important and it's the same, the same faith is true for us. This was a, a pivotal aspect, a key element to following the faith of Abraham, and that is you are a sojourner, that you're just passing through, that this land is not yours. Now, it's tempting, right, for us, because despite how crazy our country is, we still live in the greatest country in the world. And it might be tempting for you to chase the American dream and to say, this is where my home is. This is my life. This is all there is, but it's not. It's not, guys. Every Israelite who intended to be true to the faith of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob had to be diligent to remember that that was not their home. And the good ones did. The good ones remembered that. 
And as we continue to try to maintain this faith as well, our foreseeable future is here on earth. But guys, no, one's, no one gets to stay here forever. You don't get to stay on this earth forever. I was preaching the gospel to a group of prisoners, like through this prison ministry, we were in, we were in the jails. And I told them, I was like, guys, nobody's getting out of here alive. You realize that? And they're looking at each other like, yeah. <laughs> but it's true. Like, nobody gets out alive. We're all in this, and we're all going to die. Uh, that's encouraging, right? Uplifting message tonight for you. In fact, here's a prophecy for your life. Ready? Write it down. I'm going I'm to tell the future. You're going to experience awesome things, amazing things, good things. You're going to experience really hard things. And you're going to experience a lot of in-between things. Take it or leave it kind of things. And then one day, eventually, if the rapture does not happen, you will die. There is an appointment for you in the grave. There is an appointed day for you to pass from this earth into eternity. So don't make the foolish mistake, guys, of only preparing for your future on earth. Your career your retirement. Oh, Joseph was wise and he did that. He prepared, right, for things. But Joseph chiefly lived for his eternal condition. He chiefly prepared for his eternity. Jacob did the same. He lived as a sojourner passing through. Keep the heavenly perspective, guys. Don't let anything in this life and on this earth make you, cause you to make decisions that will negatively impact your forever. Because guess what? The decisions you make today, yeah, they'll impact your life. But then you'll die. There are certain decisions that you'll make that will impact your eternity. For good and for bad. Make the right decisions. Make the wise decisions, as these guys did. And if you don't know how to live for eternity, if you don't know what that first step is, the very first step is to give your life to Christ. It's to to surrender to Jesus. And the following steps after that are to follow Christ by being in His Word, becoming a disciple of Christ, pursuing a character like Christ, learning about Him in His Word, looking at other saints, other Christians who model Christ well, praying and staying connected to the Lord every day, basic discipleship. This is how you invest and then obeying what you learn, obeying what you know. It's so important, guys. Don't, don't live for today. Be a sojourner in, in this land. And I guarantee you, your life will be that much more blessed. You will experience a lot more adventures as a sojourner than you will as a, uh, someone who settles in and chases the American dream. That is, that is a hell in and of itself. If you, if you chase the American dream and, and God forbid you're good at it and you get everything you want, You will say, my days have been few and evil, just like Jacob's, but you will have no hope of heaven if you did not stop to invest in eternity and to accept Christ as your Savior. Amen? Let's all stand. Let's pray. And Lord, we do thank You for the example that You've given us in Joseph. Lord, even as we come to the end of Jacob's life and Joseph's life, it's such an amazing and rich uh, section of the Scriptures and challenging, Lord God, these men of these amazing men of faith. Lord, they saw you move in amazing ways, and they capitalized on it because of their faith and trust in you. 
And God, I pray that we would have the courage, the wisdom as well, to be men and women, not, not just men and women who intellectually receive your word in the gospel, but men and women who have the courage to obey the word of God. That we would have the courage to live as these men lived. That we would understand that we are just passing through, Lord God. That temporal things don't satisfy. That riches come and riches go, but Lord, your joy lasts forever. That your provisions uh, are, are constant, Lord God. That you give us what we need as we follow you and we can trust you in all circumstances. Lord, and I pray for those who perhaps don't know you, who have never committed themselves to you, Lord, that they would have the courage right now, the wisdom right now to receive you in their hearts, that they would proclaim their need for a Savior, Lord, that they would confess that they don't know what's going to happen when they die, and that they would come to you and find the assurance of eternal life that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Lord, so we look to you as our Savior, as our provider, Lord, as the one that we trust not only in this life, but with eternity, Lord. We trust you with our eternal condition because you are trustworthy. We love you and we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey everyone, Pastor Sean here. Thank you so much for listening. If you're hearing this and you'd like to give your life to the Lord now, I invite you to take the next step. Text the words, ready for Jesus, to 94,000 and we can follow up with you. One of our leaders will be able to contact you and get you some free resources to help you grow in the faith. We invite you to come out to our in-person services every Thursday evening at Calvary Tucson's East Campus in the coffee shop area. We meet at 6.30 p.m. for coffee and our service starts at 7 p.m. In the meantime, keep reading, keep praying, and keep worshiping. God bless you. Down away.